Good evening, everybody. Welcome into our first Villanova basketball report of the year. Bob Long here. Villanova is indeed a Fortune 500 company. Got to give John Rothstein some love. But just like all companies and even some of the best, they will occasionally miss earnings. And we'll talk about that here today with Tom Trainer and Kevin Long alongside me. Kevin, Tom, thanks so much for being here tonight. Excited to get underway with another season of the Villanova basketball report following what I think is one of the most fun and interesting programs to cover in the country, the Villanova Wildcats. And we're four games in. A lot to talk about in under a week here. Yeah, lots to talk about, Bob. Really glad to be back here for another season. Just like everything else this year, it's a little bit different. We're, we're in our own little bubbleville here. We're all in our own individual pods, but uh, keeping the Villanova basketball report together. So excited to be back. Yeah, Bob, thanks for having me back on the show. Kevin, Bob, great to be with you guys. Um, and I think we're just blessed that we get to watch Villanova basketball right now. Uh, I know it put a smile on my face the past week. Um, and I think a college basketball being back, you know, talking to quite a few different people, just bringing a lot of people a lot of joy right now. It's a good thing. Yeah, certainly. It's, it's a great thing. And Villanova is 3-1, and one, hot off a win against Hartford, a strong win there, certainly. Hartford, not the most deep team nor the most talented team in the world, but Villanova took care of business, and we saw a lot of good things. Of course, doubling back, they had a what was supposed to be a two-game stint at Bubbleville at Mohegan Sun, beat Boston College, a strong second half from the Cats, and then beat Arizona State, who you know, everyone's talking about that team being really good. That was what I saw as a pretty undisciplined and sometimes ball hoggish attitude and, and way of play from that Arizona State team. I think a long way to go for them. But Villanova won another preseason tournament, seventh time in eight years. And then all of a sudden they decide that they're staying in Bubbleville for another couple of days at least. Virginia Tech's game against Temple, that had been postponed or I think canceled in that specific case. And Villanova was shortly thereafter going to realize that their game against Temple was going to be canceled for the ensuing week. So why not play the Hokies and a really strong Hokies team? They vaulted all the way into the top 10 uh, after a strong victory against Villanova. But we talked about a Fortune 500 company missing earnings. Uh, that's what Villanova did, I think, in that game. And instead of earnings, we're going to talk about free throws. That was certainly the thing that jumps off the page at you. But what I'll say is uh, I think a lot, uh, a lot has to be said for how early that game was. And I think a lot has to be said for how it was three games in four days. Jay has even said, hey, I could have gotten more bench guys involved. The way I look at it, certainly no issue, an opportunity to learn very early on in what will be a crazy season. And we've already seen in the very next game that Villanova is ready and willing to go to the bench and does have some depth there. The emergence of Brandon Slater, Cole Swider played a nice game, and of course, Eric Dixon. So, a lot to get to there. Let's go to you, Kevin, first. Your thoughts on everything that we've seen at Bubbleville. Yeah, so I, I think first off, I'm going to start with the the tournament. Uh, I think the team played as, as well as we really could have expected them early on here. Um, I really felt like they came out strong. I think that some of the guys like Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore, really picked off uh, right where they left off uh, last year. And uh, the addition of Caleb Daniels has, has been great. I mean, you figure the, the real key loss this year is Sadiq Bay. You get a guy in Daniels who comes in and somewhat fills that role. Definitely not up to the Sadiq Bay level right now, but he's played an integral role in these first couple of games for Villanova. So that has been really encouraging to see. Uh, and like you said, you know, about that loss, I'm not overly concerned about that. I think it's a situation where, you know, you're coming off of a tournament win and the very next day you're going and playing a third game in a row and these kids are away from their families and their girlfriends and everything else. They thought they were going home. and All of a sudden you got another game, which is great, but it's, you know, it's draining for sure to be in a hotel for an extra day like that. And uh, Virginia Tech's coming in and, and they're ready to go. And, you know, they want to take down one of the top teams in the country. So it was just a little, I think, a little different motivation level, just a little different attitude between the two teams where they were mentally. Um, so I'm not, I'm not overly concerned uh, with that loss. And then the game today against Hartford, is, it was a great game. 
everyone played well, got some guys, some minutes who uh, don't usually play. Good to see from Dixon, good to see from Slater. Uh, I'm encouraged to see this team develop their depth because uh, in the first three games, they really didn't show much beyond the first six or so guys. Yeah, like Kevin, I see, I see a lot of new pieces that I really like. I think it's a well-rounded team. Um, I would argue much more well-rounded than last year. Um, I think we've seen a few different guys develop pretty nicely. I think Brandon Slater is one of them. Um, he, he looks really good. Looks Heck, it looks like he's gotten um, a little bit taller and even maybe a little bit more length to him, if you could believe that. Uh, but he looks good out there. I'm really impressed by Eric Dixon so far, um, especially this evening. And, uh, and Caleb Daniels, just I mean, he just looks like a player, man. Um, he fits really nicely. He looks like he has a great attitude. He's got a sweet-looking jump shot, plays hard defensively. Um, thrilled to have him. Um, and, 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 you know, we've seen some other guys develop. I think Cole Swider looks like a little bit more better of a fit out there at time, you know, still ways to go defensively for sure. Um, but, but it definitely looks more solid out there. And I think that's promising. Um, and I, and I would like to see them play a little bit more as a team, you know, uh, Jay likes to go with a hot hand. That was JRE one night. That was Colin the next night. Um, sometimes almost riding the hot hand to a fault and the offense can get a little stagnant at times. I think when you have such a well, well-rounded team that we seem to have this year, um, definitely want to see a bit more ball movement than we might have seen out of the, out of the first um, few games. Um, and they're definitely still an inexperienced team, you know? Um, I mean, none of these guys have been leaders on teams that have gone deep into March yet. Um, none of these guys were really leaders on any Big East tournament championship teams. Um, so this is... Um, you know, if they want to be a Big East champion this year and if they want to make a deep run in March, um, you know, we have a new group of guys that have never really been a big or significant part of that before. Um, and I think you see that, you know, in end-of-game situations um, like against Virginia Tech where, uh, you know, guys aren't making free throws, guys are missing defensive assignments down the stretch, um, and, and they'll learn and they'll grow. I'm definitely encouraged by what I saw last week. It is a brand new season, but we are going to return some old, old habits here. As we always say, games are won and lost on the front end, and, and it was those front ends, Tom, three of them missed by three different guys, by the way, that was the difference there. But I do want to hone in on some of the, the positives, of course, because I think there's a lot of positives, right? I mean, this loss in November, you kind of have to say it um, to, to fans of all, all ilk, but a game in November doesn't really matter. And so the opportunity to learn about this team, if it does allow them to go deeper in the bench, I think that's a really good thing. And before you and I, you know, before the season got started, Tom, you and I texted a little bit. You asked me what I was most looking forward to seeing. And the two things I told you were Caleb Daniels, right? What type of role will he have? I felt as if this team did need another consistent scorer, and I think he brings you that. And the other thing I said is I want to see what Eric Dixon's role can be. I don't think we have the answer to question number two yet. And I think Eric Dixon playing against Hartford, a part of that was who they played. Part of that was the fact that it was Hartford and you could get him out there, put him in positions to succeed offensively and defensively without much fear of, of retribution or any type of loss being anywhere on the horizon. However, with that said, he's a big, strong guy, has a wider presence than anybody else on this team inside, including Jeremiah Robinson Earl, not to say that he's a better player, on the block because he's not, but he does have a wider frame and takes up more space. I think that's huge for a program that, you know, since Omari Spillman and even his style of play didn't quite match that, that true inside presence. So since Daniel Ochefu looking for that wide bodied interior, big time rebounder, offensive and defensive, and a guy that can, when you do need a bucket inside and when it's going cold from three, Perhaps he can develop into that guy over the course of the year. I'm very excited about what you see in Eric Dixon if you're a Villanova fan. And I think that, combined with Caleb Daniels, provide you a very solid third option scoring. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that uh, we really need to see a lot more from Eric Dixon at this point. Like you said, that the game against Hartford was certainly encouraging. And as we all know, if you want to make your way into Jay's starting rotation uh, at any level, you, you need to play defense. And we've seen it time after time. And, and 
a constant example that we've talked about over the past three years is is Cole Swider versus Jermaine Samuels. I, I mean, I think, you know, taking it off course a little bit here, you look at what Jermaine has done over these past four games, and and he appears to have regressed unless he is, uh, you know, unless he can turn it around a little bit. I know we've, we've seen some slow starts out of him before, um, but but the, the defense is not quite to the level that it was in the past. The, the offense has seemed to regress a little bit, and, and Cole Swider is, is knocking down shots, as he always has. And at some point, Jay's going to have to look at this as, you know, is, is this his time to take it over? Can I trust him enough on defense? And, and we still have not gotten enough of an answer on that uh, for him to make a determination at this point in the season. So, you know, just, just to bring that back to Eric Dixon, need to see what he can do defensively. Um, we saw that he has some offensive skills and post moves uh, against Hartford in that game tonight, but, but really need to see if he can stand up to some of the bigs that he's going to go up against in the Big East this year. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take you on with you on the aside there to Jermaine Samuels. I think the one part of his game where he has improved is his ability to get off the dribble and get to the basket. He's become a pretty decent slasher, and he's now a guy that I think you can feel relatively confident in from a, a perspective of taking a wide-open three, which I don't know that I was ever there before. But I, I think you can feel relatively confident that he's not going to miss seven straight threes. I think you can feel relatively confident in his ability to slash to the basket. He still makes poor decisions. He's still not entirely certain, and I don't think you would want him driving through traffic. But if somebody overhedges or jumps out on the three and he, he's given the baseline, I think he can get to the basket. He's done that in a decent fashion. But it's still, for me, he, he's decided what he's doing with the basketball before – uh, no matter what, right, before he starts dribbling. And so any way the situation may change that may say, you know what, Jermaine, it's time to stop dribbling the basketball, or maybe you shouldn't make that pass because there's now two guys in the passing lane. It's that level of basketball IQ and quick decision-making that he hasn't mastered. And that's why I struggle with him on the floor in key situations. It almost looks like he's a freshman who's come into the league and he hasn't quite caught up to the speed of the game yet he he still seems to be just a little antsy with the ball and like you said he's completely predetermined whether he's going to put it right up he's going to pass it or he's going to go right to the basket he doesn't dribble the ball around comfortably you know and you would expect that more so out of your point guard but even watching Caleb Daniels he's, he's very comfortable with the ball he He's comfortable not deciding what he's going to be doing with the ball. He can analyze the situation and, and figure out what's the best move. But Jermaine has just never really caught up to the game. And, and to his credit, yeah, he's figured out how to drive to the basket a little better. His shot has gotten better. And he's found ways to contribute. But he's, he's just never – well, he's a senior now. But he's never going to be more than that fourth or fifth option for you. Yeah, Jermaine – is I th I think what we are seeing is, and you mentioned regressing, Kev, and it seems like, you know, he's been um, non-existent out there on the court. And I, th I think part of that is because last year, um, especially at the towards the beginning of the season, he was the guy who was supposed to be the guy. You know, we didn't know how much Sadiq was going to improve coming into the year. We expected a lot of improvement, but we didn't know just how good he was going to be. Jermaine was going to be a junior had finished with a hot streak at the end of the previous year in, tw in um, 2019. Um, and so he was the guy. And so they went to him a lot. They fed him the ball. Um, and he's just not a very polished offensive player. Um, you could say predetermined. You could say, I mean, at times he you know, forced it, turned it over. Um, he still seems to do that. You know, as Bob said, it seems like he's made up his mind um, what he's going to do. Um, but but just, the reality is just as a, as a player, um, he's just not super polished with the basketball. He never has been and doesn't seem to have really developed that, unfortunately. Um, so I think if both he is going to succeed and the team is going to succeed, I would like to see Jermaine Samuels 2019 a little bit more when he was more of a role player offensively who fed off of um, other players who could create their own shot, who could drive to the basket. Like he fed off of Phil Booth and Eric Pascoe that year. 
Um, so I would like to see, you know, him kind of taking a bit more of that role and letting the game come to him. Um, and I think part of the reason is he's, you know, he's been kind of um, absent out there offensively is that, uh, I mean, this is just what he does. Right? He's a streaky player. I mean, he, 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 he was absent for, you know, the 2018 part of that 2019 season. And then all of a sudden at the end of Big East regular season, he comes on and he's uh, making every shot after he had been told to not shoot the ball, it mm -hmm. seemed, for a time there. Um, so this is what he does. He's a streaky player. Um, he'll have his streaks. He'll have his runs. But I would definitely like to see him let the game come to him. Um, and I definitely don't want to see us trying to play through him like we seem to be forced to last year just with the personnel that we have. We have so many more pieces this year. I would like to see him kind of fit in as one of those pieces. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. And the other thing I would say about Jermaine is the analytics will show you and our buddy Derek Gerberich at Stathouse Analytics, we've had him on before. We'll do it again, certainly this year, especially with this Zoom presence that uh, we can make our, our guests more more uh you know more often it would be great to have him on but he told us that you know hey Villanova's a better team rebounding team when Jermaine Samuels on the floor than Demir Cosby Roundtree is on the floor and that was with Demir Cosby Roundtree having more rebounds per game than Jermaine Samuels so that that does tell you something right that there's some sort of glue there that when he is a role player Tom that was a great point that you made and when he is asked to just contribute a key rebound, a key steal, stay in the right defensive position, a key box out to let someone else get the rebound, you know, that, that's the role for Jermaine Samuels, I think. And that's how he can be successful on this team. You know, I do think he's a pretty strong defender. It's just there's occasions where he just has mental lapses. But the athletic ability and the fundamentals are there to allow him to be an excellent defender. And I think at times, many times over the course of his Villanova career, he has been that excellent defender and has been able to facilitate the rest of the team, give them the space to do what they need to do. And Kevin, I think you mentioned Cole Swider. Let's talk about that because he did hit some big shots today against Hartford, some big shots in some closer games as well in the first few games of the season. I think we saw him play a little bit more in today's matinee because it was Hartford and there was no chance that they were going to lose the basketball game, but He's nowhere close to being on the floor in a key defensive situation. And I don't want to beat the dead horse this year, so we'll, we'll lead with it and follow up where necessary. But he is a defensive liability at this time. He, he's flat-footed. He's just not quick enough nor strong enough. However, in a situation where you're playing, say, zone defense and you do need shooters on the offensive end, I think you can put him in a key game uh, and give him more than the six to seven minute run that he, that he's probably going to get in the big, big East close basketball game. But that's something where I think he is, the game is slowed down to him. He's a tremendous shooter. And just like we've seen with other great shooters that maybe weren't there on day one for this Villanova team, game slows down. You understand the offensive set a little bit and you're able to execute better. Next question for him is, how well can he play defense? Because that's the difference with his offensive game. It's the difference between being a 30 minute a game guy and an eight minute a game guy. It is, it is that important. And there is that type of Delta between his defensive and offensive potential at this point. You're absolutely correct in saying that if he is a, even an average defender, he's absolutely getting 30 points a game. He's, he's probably one of a basketball team. I mean, if you're getting anybody with 10 seconds to go, I would want it to be wild. I just have that much faith in the guy. Uh, like you said, he's gotten comfortable. Um, it seems like at times he would force up some bad shots or he would be uncomfortable with the shot and take it anyways. And I think he's found better shots for himself over the past couple of years. I think he's also gotten much better with the dribble drive. He's recognized that guys will come after him immediately because they know that he's sort of a one threat guy. He's just going to put the ball right up. And he's, he's gotten somewhat better at the little pump fake drive to the basket. Um, and, and so, yeah, absolutely. He's got all the offensive tools to be, a, you know, the three and D type of guy. And he just needs to, he needs to put it together with the D 
um, in order to stay in this lineup. Because like you said, the only time that he's getting in the game is if they're in a situation where they can play zone and, and some guys can help him out around him. And it's unfortunate because he clearly is a lot more confident on the offensive end this year, which is great to see because, as you both have said, that wasn't the case um, in his first two years at Villanova. Um, but it just seems that defensively, you know, Bob, you asked if that, the question is, can he get to better, more dependable on the defensive end? Awareness is something that can be developed. I think he seems to maybe have improved, although there are times he certainly seems to be out of position, uh, have, have been out of position um, in the past week. Um, I would say certainly towards the end of that Virginia Tech game, I think he's a bit of a liability rebounding, but there are certain things that I just don't think he's ever going to be that player. Um, I just think he does not have it. You know, the on-ball defensive abilities, I think he is always going to be a guy that other teams are going to attack. Um, even if, you know, and, and especially because, um, you know, Jay doesn't like to play matchup defense. You know, he might start on a guy and he might try to have a player prioritize or shadow a player, but the, all of the switching that Villanova does, um, it's so easy for other teams to manipulate that and attacks wider. Um, so you mentioned, you know, he's only going to be able to play when they play zone, but um, I, th- I think that if we're going to succeed as a team offensively, um, especially, um, just in terms of personnel with, with, it, with having um, Dada out currently, I know they don't play similar positions, but they guard similar people. So in ter- thinking of terms of personnel. Um, and, and so you're going to need him to play. It can't just be an only zone player. You need him on the court. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is to that. Qu- I mean, the answer yeah. is I don't know if it changes. I don't know what the answer is to um, solve that problem. Sure. Yeah. And that wasn't my intent to say he was literally only going to play in zone situations. The intent is more, I think that's the the situation where you feel most comfortable with him. The issue is Villanova does not really play zone. Like you said, Um, it it develops it kind of as a last resort, realizing that it may need to be played against a certain opponent at a certain time in order to win an important game. But in no way is it the, is it the linchpin of what Villanova basketball does? So that that's absolutely a concern. And I think there are some physical traits that he does lack. A guy that doesn't lack those physical traits defensively is Brandon Slater. And we saw him in a game against Hartford today where he got off the scoring column in a big way, 13 points, I believe, 13 or 15 points. And I'll tell you what, every time he scores the basketball, he impresses me. And I don't know if that's a compliment or not. It's probably not. Uh, but the fact that he's shooting a three this year is a marked difference from a guy that had no business shooting the three last year. And so that's exciting to see. Again, I think the difference between hitting that shot up 20 against Hartford and down three against Boston College is the reason you didn't see him in those spots against Boston College. But you also have to understand that this is a timeline building. We're now four games in to a Villanova basketball season where you're learning about a lot of guys who have not yet been in those situations. Well, Brandon Slater's another guy. I, I was thoroughly impressed by what I saw out of him today. I would not expect that to see the, I would not expect to see that against Texas next week, but it's good to see that it's in there and to develop that over the course of the year. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to see uh, regardless of the competition. It's you know something that Brandon Slater himself hasn't seen yet on the college level. So just giving him the opportunity to get a little confidence uh, going into some of these bigger games, and maybe he provides a little bit of depth going down the stretch. Certainly, and I and Jay has recognized that. Jay acknowledged after the Virginia Tech game that he should have played Slater a little bit more. Um, it could should have played um, both Dixon and Slater a little bit more, both because you know it was a, the third game in four days. Guys were a little bit tired. Um, could have used some fresher legs out there on the court. Um, but also, that's a sign you know that Jay trusts. Um, Slater's development and and it was clear tonight I mean yeah it's Hartford yeah some of those baskets he got that which as you said were impressive Bob you know he's playing bully ball sort of you know taking another guy to the rack who's you know he's got three inches on and probably about 30 pounds Um, but but nonetheless the confidence is there and the fact that he knows that he can do that um, and and that's something we have never seen I mean frankly we we have barely gotten to see um, Slater over the past two years. Um, so it's just great to see him getting minutes and great to see him producing in any fashion. 
and in very limited action last year and now what we've seen in early action this year, the corner three looks to be his spot, right? Just kind of hang out, let the drive and kick find you, the extra pass to the corner. Caleb Daniels found him on an extra swing pass from the, the left wing to the left corner. And it seems like he's really comfortable in the left corner. So if that's a yeah. shot he can hit and, with and regularity, got a, why not? And he's got a beautiful lefty stroke, you know, bringing Darren Hilliard vibes back uh, right. with, with a corner lefty three. Uh, it, it's great to see. Uh, one thing I did, I did want to go back to, I don't want to harp on, um, we, you know, we mentioned free throws. Most Villanova fans I've talked to over the past few days, you know, when you talk about the Virginia Tech game, that's what everybody needs is those two free throws. Um, and you could, you could say, well, that's an inexperienced team. Um, you could say they just choked. What are they doing? Tired legs. Villanova, Villanova I, again, I don't know if that's – it could be tired legs. I just don't know if that's something that is going to change or improve this year. They weren't a good – they weren't – they're not a bad free-throw shooting team. They haven't been a bad free-throw shooting team, but they, they've been an okay free-throw shooting team the past two seasons. As Villanova fans, we are accustomed to being one of the best free-throw shooting teams in the country. Um, and I just don't think this team is that. We saw it time and time again last year, and we have a lot of the same players this year. Everybody so let's talk except about for that. Bay. Why? So, well, I mean, Colin Gillespie should be no less than an 80% free throw shooter. Cole Swider is not going to get to the line a lot. He should be no less than an 80% free throw shooter. Jeremiah Robinson Earl should be a 75% free throw shooter. Jermaine Samuels should be nowhere around the 60% range. He should be in the 70s, but he's, he's not going to be. So, so there's one, and he does get to the, the free throw line a little bit. Who, you know, who Justin am I missing? Moore. Justin Moore. Justin Moore should be an 85% mm-hmm. free throw shooter. Caleb Daniels mm-hmm. should be a strong free throw shooter. So uh, why not, Tom? Why well, and the, the, joke, the joke is, you know, I was getting texts from people saying, well, free throw shooting practice tomorrow, 6 a.m. And, and, I mean, I know that that's a joke, but, I mean, it's not like they're practicing free throws any less than a Jay Wright team has ever practiced free throws. Um, so, in my mind, it's, it's probably just something that we might just have to suffer with this year. They're just not as good of a free throw shooting team as we're used to seeing. They're not a team that, when they go to the line in the Elite Eight against Kansas, we know that's money in the bank. When they go to the line in the National Championship against North Carolina, that's money in the bank. When they go to the line against Seton Hall in the Big East Championship, we know that's money in the bank. That's just, we're never going to have that comfort with this team um, just because they're not, for whatever reason. I don't know why it is, Bob. They're just not. Um, the players we have just are not um, the cold-blooded ice in their veins free-throw shooters. And it's not just even at the end of the game. I think the statistics would show you, we might need to fact-check in the second half of the show, that they're just not as good of a free-throw shooting team as we were 2014 through um, 2018, or really as they've been throughout Jay Wright's 20 years ago. Yeah, for sure. I, I see Kevin smirking there a little bit. I, we're flying a little too close to the sun here. We're coming dangerously close to our uh, discussion on the show from two or three years ago. Jalen Brunson is not a clutch free throw shooter. <laughs> so we'll avoid, we'll avoid that one. I'm sure I know you guys remember that one. Wow. That was fun. But no, listen, Tom, I, I'm with you. I think, I think that they have struggled. I just don't know why guys that are this good of shooters cannot be and will not be stronger free throw shooters over the course of the year. Time will tell, but uh, it's an important part of winning close basketball games. And it is, you never can point to one reason, but if you make one of those three front ends, you win the basketball game and we're not having this discussion. And I think part of that could be um, an experience, maybe. I think part of that could be, um, you know, there's a big mental side to free throws that there aren't necessarily to other parts of the game. You know, other parts of the game, there are lots of moving components. You're making quick decisions, you know, catch, release. At the free throw line, everything slows down. And, you know, it's like looking over a putt in golf or, or you know, um, you know, throwing a pitch in baseball where it's that one moment, you're focused on that, then and there's too much time to think right um and so when you have this history of not being as good of i don't again i don't want to say they're a bad free throw shooting team but when you have this history of not making important free throws or not being as good of a free throw shooting team as you wish to be or should be um that definitely creeps into your mind um there's no way it can't um in that moment of the game so i think 
that that I think is just something they're going to have to grow out with and only are going to grow out grow out of it by getting it done. You know, you only grow out of that by having success, seeing the ball going through the hoop in clutch situations, um, to use your favorite word, Bob. Um, but that's that's the only way they're gonna get over this is by getting confidence in doing so uh, and confidence in themselves. Yeah, and and you really feel that maybe some of that is because these guys haven't yet been in those big situations. You you look at this roster and uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is a sophomore, Caleb Daniels a newcomer, Justin Moore a sophomore, and Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels playing very limited roles in those national championship runs or just the one in 2018. And, and they haven't been in the moments previously when you had a Jalen Brunson in 2018 who was a big part of the 2016 run and Mikhail Bridges, who had a little bit of a role, and those guys becoming more comfortable in those big moments. And, and now you have these guys who, you know, coming off a, a good year last year, but no NCAA tournament, no Big East tournament, missed out on, on that great experience, as did the rest of the NCAA, of course. But uh, you don't feel that these guys are as comfortable in the big moments as some of these teams have been in the past. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. It's an interesting thought, and I think the good way to leave this discussion is it's something to keep an eye on, right? It's it's one game in November, third game in four days, short bench, tired legs, but they do need to make more free throws, and that's more just something to keep an eye on. But I think if you look at this team, it's a well-designed team. You have multiple strong ball handlers. We take a look back to, to two years ago. Phil Booth was really the lone ball handler that you would trust with the basketball. Colin Gillespie has obviously become a, a strong ball handling quarterback of this offense. I think he's even a stronger ball handler in limited action than he was last year, which you'd expect. You'd expect coming into your senior year. Justin Moore, I do trust him as well. He uh, – Kev, I know it's our favorite phrase. Occasionally, we get a little triangular out there, but uh, the Bermuda Triangle of sorts where the ball comes in doesn't go out. But he is a tremendous shooter and a really good shooter when he has a hand in his face. You almost feel better when he's pulling up and there's a hand in his face. And you know, He's a big-time player. He'll be a great guard here. Love the way he plays with his back to the basket as well. And the fact that you have those two guys that are two of the better ball handlers in the Big East has to make you feel good. Caleb Daniels provides that Dante DiVincenzo type. You don't want him running the offense as your point guard, but he can dribble the basketball with effectiveness when needed and can get to the hole or at least get to the middle of the court to rise up or distribute the basketball. Really good athlete in that 6'5", small forward slash shooting guard frame. I do like the backcourt of this court very, very much uh, this year. Yeah, Justin Moore reminds me a lot of, Phil Booth in a lot of situations. He's he's also a very good ball handler. Came in day one seeming very confident in just about everything that he's doing. Dribbling the ball, putting the ball up, uh, no hesitation many times in, in some bad situations where you wouldn't expect him to go up with the ball, much like Phil Booth. But um, a lot of times getting the job done has really been a contributor since the first day that he stepped on campus. Um, great so at the end great make- at the end of the shot clock too I'll say I mean uh, it's funny when you said Phil Booth I was thinking in my head hmm is that an insult to either Justin Moore or Phil Booth and my thought was eh, it might be a might be an insult to Justin Moore I think he came in more ready to play day one but then I realized well Phil Booth scored 20 in the national championship game so maybe maybe not uh, maybe that's a great comparison yeah, I, I, I mean, I think the guys are, are kind of at an equal level. Um, you know, I, I think they both have sort of the same potential, maybe Justin more so than Phil Booth. Uh, he's got a little bit bigger stature and uh, a better chance to, to translate that to the next level. But, uh, you know, in terms of ball handlers, I also want to recognize Jeremiah Robinson Earl, not like a big man that we've really had here in a long time. You really feel comfortable if he grabs the board and has to, dribble it up the court by himself. I really have no hesitation letting him do that. I I think he's very comfortable with the ball, uh, very mature for his age. And uh, I've been thoroughly impressed with his first couple of games here. Obviously, Hartford did not uh, play a whole lot, but I'm sure that was due to just more uh, energy concerns. We'll say load management if this were the NBA. 
Um, and, and I think I made the comment to you after the Virginia Tech game, you know, we need a little bit more from Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And I don't think that's a knock on the way that he necessarily played in that game. But I, I think in order to beat good teams, we need Jeremiah scoring 20 points and, and get 10 rebounds. Uh, he's going he's gonna to have to be the star of this team. He's going to lead us to victory. Um, Justin Moore-Phil Booth comparison is a good one. I would say that uh, Justin Moore definitely came in a bit stronger as a freshman and definitely a much more confident uh, ball handler as well than Phil, but, but I, I do like the comparison, um, especially in terms of the, their, their surprising. I think, I think they were both uh, pleasant surprises early on, have been early on in their careers at Villanova. Um, I really liked this backcourt. I, I like the the attitude I like um, their the culture they even have amongst themselves I mean Justin Moore is a guy his facial expression similar to the way Brunson's you know never changes he just got that steely look across his face never changes his facial expressions he plays hard he plays solid defense um, Gillespie same way he almost looks like he's mad out there most of the time um, and, and Daniels just looks like a really confident player who's willing to do the dirty things. And he, he, he looks, you know, he's, he's a mature player. Um, he's clearly very strong on both ends of the court. Um, I, I really like that trio. Um, they're all good uh, ball handlers. Um, with that said, those attributes is something I would like to see a little bit more out of Jeremiah Robinson Earl, to your point, Kevin. He does all of the little things. He seems like a great kid. He's got a great attitude. He's a really polished offensive player. He boxes out. He rebounds. does all the good things. I'd like to see a little bit more grit. By no means am I, am I calling him soft or weak. He's a strong player. Um, just like to see a little bit more fire. I mean, Kevin, you, you stopped short of saying you'd like to see him go get his. Um, but but I, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see a little bit more fire out of him um, and, and just a little bit more, more grit. Um, because he's got all the other pieces, um, I, but I think he could become a real leader. I'm with you on that. I, and, and you know what? Like, uh, I'll let you have that one, Tom. Here's something that's a little bit, I think, easier to, to contextualize or just to visualize. Last year, if there was a, an offensive weakness, and soft's not the word, but it, he wasn't quite big enough and strong enough, and I think that was why he didn't finish the ball quite as well as you would want a, a five-star or a kid that you think could realistically be an All-American at the end of the year. And that's what he is right now. And already he's shown the ability to finish. We know he has great touch from the outside, can shoot the 15 to 17-footer with the best of them. And that's phenomenal, which forces a defender who doesn't want to guard at 18 feet to come out and guard at 18 feet. And he's quick enough to get to the hoop and a really good finisher this year relative to where it was last year. Um, but I can absolutely see and understand that the only thing keeping him from 15 a game is knowing that he's going out there to score 15 to 20 per game. But I think that comes, you know, with time. And I think that's a, where he can be put in a position where, listen, they need to get the ball to the elbow a little bit more at times. They can get a little three happy or at least perimeter happy. And where things turned in the Arizona State game, and really the Boston College game after he came off the bench with foul trouble was the ability to get the ball inside at least to the to the paint, right? At least to the the elbow or the top of the foul line. And against BC specifically, it was a zone. So getting the ball to the middle was huge and really opened the top off on that one. And of course, he was unbelievable against Arizona State. I, I think certainly he's a guy who just needs to know that he needs to be taking 12 shots a game. And I think that's the difference. And that that's it's really as simple as that. One quick one to double back on. Justin Moore, I'm going to give my two cents. Randy Foy would be his comp for me. The guy who, not afraid to go inside, guard the bigger guy, play with his back to the basket. Um, and I got, you want to talk about a guy who came in ready to play day one and exceeded expectations. He was supposed to be the fourth best of that fab four, quote unquote, in that recruiting class, and he ended up being the best of the bunch. So, uh, I would say Justin Moore, Randy Foy, feels like a, a decent comp for me. Yeah, certainly not as much flash as Randy Foy. I mean, Randy Foy a lot flashier, a lot quicker. You know, could create his own shot in different ways with the basketball. Could be a little bit more creative. 
Um, but, but, but certainly, and, and again, sim- similar attributes, you know, similar um, demeanor on the basketball court and just aura of confidence about them from day one, as, as you said. So what else do we need to talk about here, guys? Coming to the end of our, our, uh, our first segment, do we want to talk about the, the week ahead? Do we want to talk about the Big Five at all? The Big Five? How about Temple using the strategy, just going to incredible measures to, you know, um, avoid a first Big Five game? Uh, that was a bad joke. But, uh, but making it uh, – I don't know. Big Five this year, uh, St. Joe's. Uh, played Kansas uh, pretty solid for a half. That was nice to see. Um, I haven't seen Penn or LaSalle. Um, and, uh, of course, haven't seen Temple yet. But it was good to see St. Joe's looked much better than they did last year. That was good to see. Yeah, agreed. And, uh, yeah, Tom, to your point, Temple trying to, to claim a share of the Big Five title this year just by not playing any games. It's a bold strategy. It might work out for him, though. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, not, not a whole lot to mention uh, around the rest of the Big Five. Um, and I'll just echo what Tom said. Really good to see St. Joe's holding it tight with Kansas for a half there. Um, it looks like they're, they're much improved from where they were last year. Next up for Villanova is Texas playing the Longhorns and then two weekends after that, they're going to play Virginia. So before we get to Christmas, we're going to see two marquee matchups, all top at least 20 teams. Texas should move up. We'll learn a lot about this Longhorn team tomorrow, Wednesday, as they take on North Carolina in the final of the Maui Invitational from sunny North Carolina. That should be a lot of fun to watch that one. But again, a strong Texas team, it looks like. Not a great Three-point shooting team at this point. Also a team that, again, early action here, but has found itself in foul trouble a lot. Uh, Hammered Indiana, barely beat Davidson. We'll see. A lot to learn about this team, but Shaka has a pretty good group of guards that can really light it up. And, And Virginia, tough loss to San Francisco. The Dons, but a strong team that will come back and probably win the ACC again this year. And probably will be a one seed and you know held a team to 20 points through three quarters of the game today uh, i saw them playing it that'll be another great matchup in what has been a great little off and on home and home rivalry over the last few years villanova and virginia so those are the two games i'm most looking forward to how about you guys yeah i agree with your assessment uh more so on the virginia game i think that's going to be an excellent game just like you said that loss to san francisco means very little to me at this point um this is a very very talented team that is going to most likely compete for a national championship they'll they'll compete for an acc championship and and has been a a great little rival for us you think back to uh maybe Three or four years ago now, uh, came down to the wire at the Wells Fargo Center. Dante DiVincenzo with a little tip back at the end to put us over the edge. Uh, so a lot of really close uh, games between us. Um, a really, really good defensive team. Uh, really going to put our team to the test and, and see what we can do um, in terms of, of offensively against one of the best, if not the best, defensive team in the country. So really looking forward to on the weeks. Yeah, no, I, that was uh, you're right. The tip in Dante Divincenzo. We'll see if this time around there are any nicknames about uh, national marinara sauce companies that uh, that that emanate from this one. The big ragu for Dante Divincenzo certainly was said before, but a national Fox broadcast, two top ten teams that has a way to make its rounds. And that was uh, the coming out party there for at least that nickname for Dante. But now looking forward to that one, Tom, your thoughts on the next couple of weeks here. Yeah, well, those, the Texas and Virginia games certainly stand out on this big non-conference games, especially um, interesting having that Virginia one um, after, you know, four or five games in the big East schedule. Um, well, so, so Villanova might be a little bit more polished, but as well Virginia after having started ACC play by that point. But that game will be fun to see those two teams after they've already gone through a handful of conference games. Um, we haven't seen um, 
Well, I guess I forget. What what was the date when they played? Was it a little bit later in the season, or was it also earlier December in non-conference play? Yeah, it was December, but remember, this year is a lot different. You, you wouldn't right, have had right, any right. conference yep. games prior to then. So, right. yeah, I think it was about the same so, time. So this will be different. So this will be different in terms of having seen the teams, you know, started their conference play. Um, yeah. And uh, good games, too, by and, the way. Georgetown, games, DePaul, and Butler leading into that Virginia game. Certainly. So that'll be different. It's also – it will be a test for our offense. Um, you know, Shaka Smart's teams um, play frenetic, in-your-face defense, um, really uh, attack and harass the, the basketball. Um, and Virginia is, is a team that you rarely can beat off the dribble. Um, so there's, I think you're going to be required to move the basketball in that game, um, be a little bit more creative with our offensive sets. Um, so we'll see how – how the team is prepared for those two matchups um, makes you having the ball handlers we have this year makes you a little bit more confident going into the game with Texas um, and that Shaka smart team that might, might press the ball handlers a little bit more than other teams do. Um, and Virginia, Sam Hauser, seeing him again from Marquette, um, you know, question of, you know, who's going to guard him. Um, he, uh, we, he's been a, a little bit of a nemesis of ours in, in prior years um so it'll be interesting to see him uh in a different uniform um but an old big east foe yeah so two quick things on that texas you talk about the aggressiveness defensively i mentioned how they've been in foul trouble over the course of the game something to keep an eye on for villanova fans and they they know it well when they see it the head fake not to get to the basket but to have the defender leave the floor and then to drive at that outside hip and to force the officials to call a foul, something like that, or just to be able to draw that contact in the backcourt. I think that's important uh, for Villanova. They've done it incredibly well, and that's going to be key against a a very aggressive defensive team. And then I want to talk Villanova defensively. We'll talk about it a lot more. We'll get our V's and O's segment going real soon here on the whiteboard. But a key for Virginia is they're so good off the high ball screen, and they're so good with back screens. They do not have the the most uh, athletic bigs that we've seen, but they have guys that find themselves with the ball in their hand in the paint and with defenders out of position. And there's a lot of contours and a lot of offensive schemes that allow them to do that uh, or get some of those guys open for, for shots. Villanova's ability to play positionless defense, to switch off and guard people at any point of the floor I think how Virginia adjusts to that and how Villanova schemes it against Virginia is going to be a key there. Again, we still have weeks to, to prepare for that one, but that for me is what's very exciting for me to, as I look forward to that particular game. But guys, before we wrap it up, anything we missed? I mean, we're four games in to a college basketball season that began the day, the day of Thanksgiving. So um, there's a lot to digest in a short period of time. I mean, it's it's been awesome to see Villanova four games and was it now five days. Um, so certainly been enjoying the the long weekend of Villanova basketball here. And uh, maybe a guy that that we haven't really touched on a whole lot was was Colin Gillespie. Just want to um, you know throw something out there for him. He, he's become honestly so reliable that we don't talk about him a whole lot. He just he goes out there and does his job. He, he seems to have improved over the off season. He, he seems a lot more confident. Uh, he's really become a vocal leader on this team. You can see that the guys rally around him. So uh, I've been very encouraged with his, his play and his leadership over the first week here. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing him continue to develop over the course of the season. Yeah. And I think, uh, Similar to Kevin's point, it's just been great to see Villanova basketball and see college basketball in general um, in, in this COVID world. And, and speaking of, it's going to be a wild and crazy world. Um, we're going to have to buckle in. Um, who knows, you know, when Villanova might be hit with some issues. Uh, Villanova already had some issues in September and October, lost some practice time um, prior to the season. Um, but, but, you know, who knows, you know, how things will shake out, um, especially as um, universities look to resume classes in the new year um, on campuses. Um, you know, will a bubble become more of a trend depending on um, what um, the pandemic looks like? 
um, who knows, but expect, expect more cancellations, um, expect um, teams to be maybe a little bit shorthanded. Um, although it does seem, right, if we're comparing college football versus college basketball so far, it does seem that maybe it's the nature, the different nature of the two sports, um, closer proximity indoors of basketball. But it does seem that whereas in college football, if a player gets sick, um, that that player misses out. Um, but the team might still be able to play a game um, that week. Look at Clemson. Um, of course, there are teams that have, have, shut, have postponed or canceled games in college football as well. But it seems that what we've seen early on in college basketball, and they're still figuring things out, it's still early. What we've seen early on is that if there is an issue with, it, with anybody involved in the team, that that's an automatic, we're going to shut things down. Yeah, I think that deals with the size of the roster and the fact that positional groups spend a lot of time around each other. So in situations where I know this is the NFL, but look at the Buffalo Bills when they had a tight end um, test positive, they quarantined all the tight ends because they spend all the time together and maybe he doesn't spend a lot of time with the long snapper. College basketball, there's 12, 13 guys on the roster, and that's just, you know, everybody's around each other every step of the way. There are no positional breakouts. and I think that's part of it. it listen, it's going to be tough. I think basketball is more conducive to any type of bodily fluid transmission, crazy as that sounds, versus football, and it's just going to be tough. We'll see. But from from on the bubble for, you know, every, every year since the, the 80s when they – expanded the national championship in the NCAA tournament from on the bubble to in the bubble potentially here in 2020, 2021 shows you how far we've, we've come here in the world, but where we are is safely coming to you every week here on the Villanova basketball report. He's Tom trainer, Kevin long, and I'm Bob long saying so long. Hope you will join us next time as we bring you Villanova Wildcat basketball analysis here on Bob Long Sports. Enjoy the hoops, everybody. We'll see you soon.